All right, well, welcome back to the Mill Church. It's nice to see some flannel in the room. You know what that means? It means fall is uh, nearly here. So that's exciting. I'm hanging on to summer while I can. I still have sandals on, so not boots. I hope you're uh, glad to be in church this morning. You look a little sleepy. Are you okay? Wow. Yeah, maybe not. Do we need to do some calisthenics or something? Get your blood moving a little bit? All right, well, we're in our second uh, week of a series on emotions. And the series we're calling Smoke Signals. The basic idea is that our, our strongest and deepest emotions function like smoke from a fire. And we can follow that trail to find out really what's hanging out deep down inside of us. When you're alerted to smoke in your home, you can't just wave your hand in the air and, and waft it away and go to Target shopping, right? You have to find the source, whatever's producing the smoke. And um, so that's the same way. We need to learn that, that our emotions are, are saying something to us about the condition of our heart. And it is... Uh, a noble goal to discover the condition of our heart when our emotions alert us to something. Last week, we talked about depression. This morning, I want to talk about anxiety. Everybody say together, anxiety. It's, a, it's an epidemic. What makes you anxious, may I ask? By the way, it's nice that all seven of you decided to join us this morning for worship. It's kind of a small crowd. Uh, maybe it's going to the doctor. Maybe it's uh, that you're apprehensive about a diagnosis, perhaps. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's money. Maybe it's finances. Uh, maybe you're anxious about having enough to take care of your kids, or maybe having enough to take care of your dying parents. Uh, it could be that being alone by yourself makes you anxious or the thought, the mere thought of being alone. Maybe what makes you anxious is hearing a sermon on anxiety. Maybe that makes you anxious. Uh, maybe it's not meeting your childhood hero before you die. I'd love to meet MacGyver before I die. Anybody know Richard Dean Anderson? I'd just love to meet that guy. Mullet and all, that would just be a great historic day for me personally, okay? Maybe it's finding the right spouse. Maybe it's uh, for you uh, not losing the right spouse. Maybe it's the loss of a child. We could go on and on. Whatever it is for you that makes you anxious, anxiety is a problem that I, I would hope you would agree can give birth to a whole list of other issues when we worry. Um, it's a fire that can spread quickly. John Piper once said, think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Anxiety about money will cause you to hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships will make you withdrawn or indifferent toward other people. 
Anxiety about what others think about you will make you lie or stretch the truth. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. End quote. So this morning we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about worry, about anxiety. His words come from Matthew 6, right? dab smack in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, One quick caveat I'll give you is that as with all of these emotions, there's a lot going on when we experience anxiety. I've expressed that during this series, I'm going to take a very spiritual and pastoral um, angle on this. I explained last week our bodies and souls are intertwined. What happens in one affects the other. Last uh, night, Shannon, uh, I, I started feeling like this last week, like I'd been a bad dad in that I have yet to set up the big family tent for the summer to enjoy a night out under the stars, which we started last summer. And so I set up the tent and uh, to stay outside last night, we were supposed to see some northern lights or something that didn't really pan out like around midnight. And so I did. I, I said to Shannon, uh, I'll sleep inside with Caroline and you sleep outside with the other three children. And she did. Tonight's my night to stay inside, or rather outside, last night of the summer. But it was a rough night for her, uh, if I might be honest. Nora was in her sleeping bag, then out of her sleeping bag, then in her sleeping bag again, then out of her sleeping bag. Um, how many of you know that being awake every hour of the night can affect your holiness level the next morning, the next day? Okay. My point is that the physiological and the spiritual are intertwined. When something affects us physically, it can also affect us spiritually, okay? Now, I want to be careful um, not to collapse everything into the spiritual bucket, but that will be, I'm just telling you, there are other causes, but my angle will be the spiritual causes, in particular the spiritual root. Um, For those of you with significant issues, I'll try to mention this every week. I have three agencies, counseling agencies, to recommend True North Counseling, Wausau, downtown. Center for Human Development, Wausau, downtown. Also, Karis Counseling, all in Wausau, okay? It's no uh, thing to go to counseling. Nobody needs to have shame going to counseling. All of us need, at times, a third party, Okay, to intervene, to help us, to guide us. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I want to read to you this passage in its entirety, Matthew 6, 24 through 34. Very excited about today's sermon. Um, No one can serve two masters, Jesus said, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, these are, these are pagans. That's what he means. These are those separated um, from all uh, religion, people who don't know God. Okay, these are... These are, I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. These are Duke students. Okay, that's who the pagans are. All right. So they eagerly seek the Gentiles do all these things, or rather the, 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 for the Gentiles, eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, I pray that you would help us heed the words of Jesus. God, what a way to live if we were to take this advice seriously. It'd be liberating. Show us in Jesus' name. Amen. First point I want to bring to your attention that Jesus makes in this beautiful, beautiful sermon is this. Anxiety thinks too little of God. Anxiety thinks too little of God. I think this is the most profound point Jesus makes in in this passage. Many of us think of anxiety as an emotion that just naturally arises, as if it just comes to every human being. Um, Here Jesus is telling us anxiety is intricately connected to what we desire. To what we desire, okay? to what we devote ourselves to the most, to what we value the most. Let me prove this to you quickly. I don't worry about, if you have kids, I don't worry about your kids' grades in school. I don't lose a lot of sleep, frankly, at night over your kids' grades, okay? I doubt you stay awake thinking about Levi's grades, as a third grader in this upcoming school year, okay? Why? Well, because your kid is not my kid. Your kid is not who I'm most devoted to. Therefore, I'm not going to have a lot of anxiety over what I'm not as devoted to. It sounds cold. I don't want you to get me wrong. I care about other kids besides my own, but do you understand the point I'm driving home? We are anxious about what we are devoted to, okay? So what are you anxious about? That is what you are devoted to, which is why Jesus starts this very discussion by challenging one of the major themes throughout all the words he shared in all of the Gospels. Um, Do you see the word therefore in verse 25? Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you got to skip back to read the previous verses because therefore is kind of a, a, a continuation of a previous thought. And the previous thought, we read it is, nobody can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lots of times when pastor when pastors preach from this passage, 
they'll skip verse 24 and begin on verse 25. Jesus knows that what we'll worry about most is in fact connected to what we're devoted to most. So when it's time to discuss anxiety, Jesus starts with the big kahuna. So what he begins with, he starts with money. Effectively, he's saying, he's saying this, if you are devoted to money, that is what you will worry about all the time. If you think that money is the one indispensable ingredient in the good life, that is what you will worry about constantly. Getting it, keeping it, not losing it. And then Jesus asks a series of questions that challenge our devotion to money. He says in verse 25, Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, is money really what defines the good life? And then he gives two examples that demonstrate that money is not, in fact, what defines a good life. First, Jesus says, consider the birds in the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. His point is this. Birds don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about saving. They don't. They know that their Father's going to feed them. They, they don't lack in spite of not worrying about saving. Then verse 29, uh, or a second, I should say, he says, consider the wildflowers in the field, verse 28. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Jesus is making this point. Flowers don't spend much of their time worrying about looking pretty. Flowers just look pretty. God adorns their lives. So Jesus' point, I want to be very clear here is not that we should not save or that we should not spend even on things we enjoy to buy nice things for ourselves. Jesus' point is that we should not be devoted to money as the primary source of security or our primary source of beauty. Does that make sense? The Heavenly Father will take care of those things. Then Jesus tells us what to do instead. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. My late grandmother gave me this verse in my graduation card. I love this verse, 633, and occasionally I'll write it in cards to other people. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're going to be in the business of worrying, concern yourself with pleasing God. That is the primary thing. Concern yourself, if you're going to worry, with doing the will of God, with living a life of holiness. God has promised to take care of everything else. When it comes down to it, um, Jesus is making a very, a very compelling point here that we, we often forget. Um, people fall into one of two personality types when it comes to resources, both of which are addressed if we look closely in Jesus' illustrations. For some, money is the source of their security. If they get a $500 bonus at the end of the year, what do they do? They save it. 
They put it away. They invest it. For others, money is not security. It's their beauty. It's their significance. It's their joy. If they get a $500 bonus at the end of the year, what do they do? They upgrade something. They upgrade their car. They upgrade their wardrobe. They upgrade their lifestyle. If you've ever taken Dave Ramsey, he calls this the saver and the spender. Okay? And in God's sense of humor, Dave says, they always end up getting married to each other. The saver and the spender. Both of them think that the other one has a significant problem with money. The saver thinks the spender is irresponsible. The spender thinks the saver is a complete tightwad. And here's the point Jesus is making. Are you ready? This is really profound because a lot of times we demonize the spender. Okay? He's saying both people have the same root problem. Both are devoted to money as necessary for some aspect of the good life. Jesus preaches to the saver through the birds illustration. The birds don't save, Jesus says, and they're completely fine. He addresses the spender through the wildflower illustration. They don't spend any money, and they're gorgeous. So he tells both of them, devote yourself to God. That's a primary thing. Let God be the source of your security. Let God be the source of your joy. And just as God takes care of the, the birds that don't save, and just as God takes care of the flowers that don't upgrade, he will take care of you. Isn't that just a deep teaching of Jesus? It's awesome. Now here's the caveat. Some of you may be anxious about money because you actually have terrible spending or saving habits. You spend it all. You hoard it all. I want to encourage you to take Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. We offer it here occasionally. It's available anytime online. Um, but for many of you, it is simply because you think, not that you do excessively either way, you think the key to the good life is money, saving or spending, and you're devoted to it. And that can be Jesus uses it as an example, a major source of anxiety. And of course you can apply this to any other anxieties. Jesus could have said, for example, don't worry about your parenting. Do the birds of the field worry about their parenting? Of course they don't, right? They kick the baby out of the nest and say, good luck. Have at it. Best to you. Fly, fly away, little one. God will make sure that they flap their wings. Jesus could have said, just nudge your kids out. Just nudge them out. And just like with money, that wouldn't mean that we don't do our very best at parenting, that we put time and energy into it, educate ourselves. It just means we should not be anxious about our parenting. We do the very best, it's been said, and God will do the rest. Right. The point is that when we're seeking God, God takes responsibility for the things to work out. Are you following Jesus' thought pattern? When it comes to money, parenting, 
education, career, any other litany of things we worry about, God is not telling us sit back and do nothing. He's telling us be obedient to the best of your ability and trust me with the results. Don't agonize over them. Don't stress about them. This means we ought not say, gosh, did I handle that conversation right? Did I, did I say everything exactly as I, oh, gosh, uh, did I make the right decision? What are, what are other people really thinking about me? Anybody like that besides me? Rather, we do our best, and God takes care of the results. Anxiety thinks too little about God because it elevates secondary things to the level of primary things. Primary is being obedient to Jesus. Primary is trusting God. Primary is serving him. Everything else is secondary. The good life is walking with God. That's the good life. Having a clean conscience, that's a primary thing. Keeping a short list with God. Feeling as though you don't have, by his grace, regrets. That is the good life. Shame, guilt. Number two, anxiety minimizes how much God thinks of me. Anxiety minimizes how much God thinks of me. It may not be clear now. It'll be clear momentarily. After Jesus tells us to consider how well God takes care of the birds, this is what he says. He asks a question. Aren't you worth more than they? Aren't you a human being worth more than the birds? And then after he talks about these beautiful flowers, he says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, won't he do that much more for you of little faith? What is Jesus doing? He's arguing this is a, uh, this is a rhetorical device. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying if God cares that much about the safety of the birds, how much more, the beauty of the flowers, how much more will he care about you? He's pointing us to the character of God. He's saying, isn't it obvious based on the birds and the flowers that God wants you, the pinnacle of his creation, to prosper, to be blessed, that God cares about bluebirds and begonias? Don't you know that he cares about you? A human being made in his own image? It's interesting that in one of the other Gospels, Jesus is actually recorded to having gone from greater to lesser in a rhetorical device. In Luke 12, 32, uh, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, do not be anxious, do not worry, for the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. In other words, if God loves us enough to give us the kingdom of heaven, would he neglect our day-to-day -day needs? I mean, he, if he's thought of the greater picture, would he, would he really not consider the lesser picture? Of course he wouldn't. So I've done the greater, will I not do the lesser also? Yes, God will. 
It's like if you take your kids on vacation. This happened to us. And you're 30 minutes late getting for dinner to one, one night. And all of a sudden, their well-timed bellies start grumbling and complaining. You're just not on the right schedule. And the kid says, Dad, are we ever, you know how they can get dramatic? Are we ever going to have dinner? It's 30 minutes beyond dinner time, right? Half an hour. Are we ever? They, they speak in absolutes. Have you noticed that about kids? Are we ever going to have dinner? Okay? It's like... Do you think I've carted you across the state of Wisconsin and spent a day spending money on you and waiting in long lines at Bay Beach to not feed you dinner? Like if I cared to spend the day with you, if I cared to fuel up, if I cared to, to bake in the hot sun so that you could ride some dinky little train, does it make sense that I wouldn't feed you dinner? Of course I'm going to feed you dinner. Just wait a little longer. Just be patient. Has not the day kind of proved my love for you already? Isn't it more plausible rather than asking, are we ever going to have dinner to ask? Daddy, is dinner running just a little bit behind this evening? Daddy, old daddy that I love? Similarly, Jesus is arguing from greater to lesser. He's saying in Luke, surely if God cares enough to send Jesus Christ to the cross to die in utter humiliation, he cares about you in your day-to-day. -day. He who did not spare his own son, Romans 8 says, but gave him up for us all. Another greater to lesser argument. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is the point, Pastor? The point is that anxiety for the Christian, think about this, is completely irrational. It doesn't make sense. Logically. Follow Jesus' train of thought. If you believe that God can take care of heaven, but you don't believe that God can handle us on earth, it means that God is eternally sufficient, but he's not temporally sufficient. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Does it make sense to, to say, God, you cared enough, Father, to send us Jesus to die for the sins of all humanity, but I can't trust you with my bills. That doesn't make any sense. So we've got to choose. Either we trust God or we don't. That's the mark of the Christ follower. Do we trust God? This is why Jesus brings up the Gentiles. He says in verse 32, it's the Gentiles who worry about these things. It's the pagans. Jesus is saying, you're acting like atheists. Stop it. God isn't a Viking. God the Father. God isn't a pirate. God isn't a buccaneer. He's not going to smite you. Unlike the pagans, you have a heavenly daddy that loves you richly. 
that wants to bless you and provide for you, and indeed he will. The Apostle Paul would even be stronger. He will, he, he'd command us not to worry. Verse 6 of Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7. This is where it's at. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul commands us not to worry and he tells us we'll receive the peace of God. For how many of us does prayer look like anxiety misdirected. Anxiety pointed toward the ceiling. That's what prayer looks like. Paul says this ought not to be so. As Christians, we have the very peace of God. What freedom there is in knowing he's caring for us. He's fighting for us. He's working for us. Last point Jesus makes in Matthew 6. Anxiety is a fantastic false prophet. Jesus gives us two great truths on this point. Worrying doesn't actually change anything. He says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Will worry actually add days to your life? Yes or no? It will not. In fact, um, ironically, it will shorten our lives. Doctors point out 75% of all doctors' visits are stress or anxiety related. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famed Mayo Clinic wrote this, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. Though I have never known a man who died of overwork, I have known a whole lot who died of worry, end quote. There's a bumper sticker that says, anxiety is my daily cardio. It's funny, sort of. It's sad because it's bad cardio. It promises, anxiety does, it's a liar. It promises if you devote time to it, it will change things. Not true. The second thing Jesus points out is that anxiety is a false prophet because the vast majority of things we worry about, what? Never take place. Never take place. You and I worried about a million things that never happen. It's been described as paying interest on a debt we don't owe. It's like hearing eerie music in the soundtrack of our lives when there's no actual danger. How many of you, by a raise of hands, have ominous music that kind of figuratively plays in your heart when you're thinking about something when you have, in reality, nothing to be scared of? This is how Jesus addresses it. Verse 34, therefore don't worry about tomorrow because each day will have enough trouble of its own. You're right, tomorrow will come. Cue ominous music. But who also is there with you tomorrow? God is. God's gonna be there tomorrow. Stop the ominous music. Take it out of your repertoire. Close out Pandora. God's there tomorrow. The God who gives you strength today will also give you strength tomorrow. I promise. God will not deal with, don't get me wrong, the 999 things that will not happen. He won't deal with those things. But he'll give you strength to deal with the one or two things that actually happen. He promises. 
But what if I get robbed, pastor? Don't worry. What if I lose my job? Don't worry. What if my 401k crashes? Don't worry. What if my kids want nothing to do with? Don't worry. What if my wife gets diagnosed with? Don't worry. The God who is faithful today will also be present with you tomorrow. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just pray, Lord, that the anxiety, the weight that we carry, the burden will be lifted in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, we'll cast it on you. I pray we will take serious, pay serious attention to the command that the Apostle Paul gave us not to be anxious. We're in control of it. You've given us authority over it. Help us to steward the authority to wield it well. In Jesus' name, amen.